Hey guys, welcome to Hard Knocks UT with Michael Farber. I'm Cody Henry. What's going on, man? What's going on? Ready Not to talk a, a whole lot. Today? Oh yeah, oh yeah. We got a got a big on. one for you. So we started this uh, whole idea about three weeks ago with the ATV Network, and uh, never really thought about this ending up being an interconference podcast but here we are we got <laughs> yeah it's gonna be fun Oklahoma joining the conference I remember when we first started talking about it it was um about Tennessee going down to play Texas this winter in basketball yeah and then a couple weeks later we may be playing each other a lot more so yeah now, now that whole uh big 12 SEC crossover thing that's gonna be kind of <laughs> awkward for them isn't it <laughs> oh yeah might have to change it to a different conference but Maybe maybe the Big Twelve survives. I I doubt it, but maybe they do. Maybe. All right. So, um, since this is our first episode, I thought it'd be a good idea for us to um, kind of explain, you know, how we became fans of uh, our certain team. So, I'll let you start off, Cody, and then I'll I'll finish up after you. Well, come from a long line of ball fans. Always been here in Knoxville, um, you know, left a couple times on trips and stuff, but never spent too much time away from home. So you got to root for the home team. Uh, grew up watching Casey Clawson. That's my, my first real big Tennessee player I was a fan of, the Ice Man. And, you know, never stopped after that. So, yeah, it was um... – Early 2006, uh, Texas versus USC in the national championship game. I was six years old, um, and my earliest memories were Vince Young running to the corner of the end zone, winning that national championship game. So I guess I, I became a bandwagon fan at six years old. Hasn't really worked out for me uh, since then. But So has your uh, dad been treating you about Texas coming over to the SEC? Has he been giving you a lot of smack? No, he thinks it's good. He thinks it's good for the conference. He expected it. Um, maybe not Texas and Oklahoma, but he expected some form of expansion um, or Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 kind of thing. Um, but 09, when Texas and Alabama played in the national championship game, that was that was a fun night. <laughs> I, bet. I bet. Yeah, I mean, you got a good thing going. You might as well expand on it, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think – Speaking of the the merger, or not really merger, but Texas and OU coming over, I think it's going to be good for everybody. Um, it's going to bring more money into the SEC, which is the primary reason they want us to come over. It's going to bring more competition um, for Oklahoma. Uh, Texas has a chance to start out in the SEC as a top program if Steve Sarkeesian can get things uh, rolling pretty early. But I think it's going to things going to fare pretty well for everybody in the situation. Right. Well, uh, you want to hit on some uh, spring game stuff? Go ahead and start from the beginning. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I'm i kind of the person that thinks Steve Sarkeesian wasn't really showing too much of – or he was holding his cards close to his vest in the spring game. You didn't really see anything flashy. Um, the first drive, uh, Casey uh, Thompson led the team straight down the field, scored a touchdown. Pretty straight, dry and forward. I mean, nothing special, nothing fancy, nothing flashy. Um, and then after that, I mean, it kind of became a boring game. It was just up and down, up and down. Nothing really exciting happened. You had the long pick six at the end of the game, or in the second half, I believe. And other than that, it was just a pretty pretty boring game. So to feed off that um... – just a little background on how we prepared for this. Michael and I, we, we really don't know a lot about each other's teams, uh, respectively. Obviously, I know a lot about Tennessee, knows a lot about Texas. So we we went back and watched some highlights of the spring games for each other's teams, and that's one thing that I did write down was that Thompson's accurate, makes all checks, looks poised. He really looked like a veteran, and I'm not – I mean, I should have went and looked, but is, is he uh, – He's not a freshman, is he? But he's younger. No, he's a. I think he's a redshirt junior. I'm pretty sure, if if not a true junior, but I think he's a 
he's some sort of junior. <laughs> he, he looks like he's he, he's supposed to be there. Yeah. And he's one that um, most people expected, you know, to transfer out, you know, with the transfer portal, portal nowadays, when you don't get your shot, he was sent behind Ellinger for so long and he just stayed there and continued to work. And now he has this opportunity to yeah. maybe take over. With a guy like uh, Coach Stark coming in, he's probably got pretty good pick there on his coach too, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. One thing I noticed um, about the Tennessee spring game, which I watched, what, probably a few hours ago now, um, was Harrison Bailey. And I told you earlier, he was tearing it up. And he's exciting to watch. If, if you're looking for a pocket passer, he's not very mobile. He can run at times, but he's not very mobile. But, man, he – he can throw some nice, pretty passes. He showed he showed a little bit of mobility in high school, but I mean, I think everybody does in high school, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he he's a he's a big guy, big arm. I'm I'm pretty pumped about him, and I know the main competition from here on out is probably going to be him and Joe Milton. But mm-hmm. I, I think Bailey's got the edge with uh, him being here a year longer and going through spring practice with Heupel. But um, Joe Milton's a guy that Josh Hopple's been recruiting since he was at UCF. So anything could happen there. I mean, Joe Milton's yeah. a big guy with a big arm too. So, yeah, and that's that's kind of where Texas is at too. You know, we have Casey Thompson and Hudson Card, and Hudson Card had a nice touchdown pass in the spring game as well. He kind of threw it without the receiver then, yeah. without the receiver there, and then you know you got to see it before you throw it. Um. So I'm excited for that to play out. Sark hasn't named a starter yet, and I'm sure Heupel hasn't named a starter either. Um, so it's going to play out till probably a couple weeks till the season starts. So we probably got another week or two before we know who's who's leading the team. Maybe we can maybe we can get somebody with some insight on the quarterback <laughs> battle to come in the next couple of weeks. Um, so a guy I had uh, highlighted, Josh Moore. A wide receiver for you guys. He seemed to be open pretty much the entire spring game. Um, yeah, he's a backstory. Back he came in under Herman, obviously, and he got in trouble not last year, but the year before. So 2019, he got charged with a, I'm pretty sure it was a gun charge. So he was suspended for the whole year. Came in last year. He was basically our wide receiver number one the whole year. And really showed a lot of promise. Um, so I'm excited to see how he does with either Casey Thompson or Hudson Card, and um, see how he plays in Sark's offense. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see him catch a lot of passes, but when he did, I mean, there was nobody within like four yards of. Him. Another guy I noticed um, in the Tennessee spring game was number one. He's your wide receiver. I can't remember his last name. It's Jones Jr. is his yeah. last name, but I can't remember his first name. Transferred in a couple years ago from, uh, or I guess only one year ago. That that last year of Pruitt felt like a couple years with 2020 <laughs> and all that. Yeah, he transferred in from USC. This will be his last year. So, um, you know, kind of like how you were saying with uh, Thompson getting the lucky pick with Stark. He uh, he came in for Pruitt, and now he's got Heifel, and that's, I mean, that's a wide receiver fantasy coach. Yeah. Well, I just noticed that he was – there were two plays back to back where he was just wide open down the field. One of them was like a, I think it was like a 30 yard gain. And then the next play was Harrison Bailey throwing him a 20 yard touchdown. And I mean, he was just wide open in the end zone, both plays. He should definitely be a guy that, that kind of does it all for Tennessee this year. Um, Fifth year guy. So let's talk about this. Um, they went back and said it's a 58-yard field goal, but the announcers originally <laughs> said 63-yard field goal. Uh, what is I remember that? that? What is that? Um, if I'm remembering right, that's Cameron Dicker, right? Yeah. Who did that? Yeah. He he was the one who um, – oh, what's the announcer's name? The announcer for Fox. Um, oh, you got me there. I can't remember. He's one of my favorite announcers ever, but it was in the Red River rivalry. And Dicker hit, uh, I think it was like a 42-yard field goal to win the game as time expired. And 
that was his freshman year. So coming out, you know, everybody was like, this is, this is our kicker. Last year, he was a little inconsistent, uh, missed a few kicks. One was a, I think it was a game tying or a game winning kick against Iowa state that would have helped us get into the big 12 championship. I remember that game. Yeah. That was super disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's been up and down kind of, but with, um, Banks coming in, Jeff Banks, uh, one of the best special teams coordinators in the country. Um, I expect him to have a better year this year and try to, you know, kick his way into maybe being drafted in a late round or signing a undrafted free agent I, contract. I tell you, I wouldn't mind that guy getting drafted by the Tigers. <laughs> we've, we've been needing some uh, kickers of late, and I've never wanted us to draft a kicker, but maybe that yeah. kid can change that. When he's on, he's on, and he has a – he can kick it from 55 plus easily. So he's are, a, he's a weapon. How are you feeling about um, the linebacker depth at Texas? I know obviously you had Juwan Mitchell transfer mm-hmm. to, to, uh, to Tennessee. Um, what, what are you guys looking at there? There, there's a little bit of a depth problem. It's not a major depth problem. Um. One guy who didn't play in the spring game was our starter, our starting middle linebacker, um, DeMarvion Overshone. He's one that um, could be – if he has a good year this year, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes first round um, because he's he's that good. He's a safety that moved down to linebacker, so he's quick, sideline to sideline. Um, so we'll have him coming back. Um, but other than that, there are there is a little bit of a depth issue – but um, we've had some transfers come in. Devin Richardson from UNLV came in. We had Ray Thornton from LSU come in, but he's more of an edge guy. Um, so I'm not really worried about it, but if we have an injury or two at that position, it could become a problem. That, that's kind of how the same boat Tennessee's in. I mean, we're, we're going to have maybe two decent starters, and then after that, it's going <laughs> to get shaky. Yeah. One thing I I wrote down um, when watching the spring game was the defense just looked like they uh, like they weren't in sync, especially in the first quarter because it was scoring quickly. Um, and then you had the pick six in the second quarter, and it kind of slowed down in the second half with the running clock. But uh, what's what do you have on your defense? That were there people missing, or are there transfers coming in, or so. Um... A lot of a lot of our like main guys that are projected to be starters didn't even play. Mm-hmm. I know I know Jeremy Banks didn't play, and uh, he's a linebacker. He should be uh, a starting linebacker this year. But um, something a lot of people pointed out was usually at the spring game we ran like a a, a four three or a three four mm-hmm. um, offense, you know, a more traditional offense and. The rumor has always been since we brought in um, the defensive coordinator Banks was that we're going to run a four-two-five. So I don't know if maybe maybe the defense wasn't even you know they were running something they weren't used to or they hadn't been. Yeah. Or maybe there wasn't chemistry at that point. Um, but the the rumor is that we're going to run a four-two-five because I mean we do we've got a, we've got a lot of DBs and not a lot of linebackers and. You got yeah. Garner, you got Garner coaching D line, so I'm sure he can find a good rotation of guys. Um, so I do. I look for more out of our defense this fall than than what you saw in the spring game, just because I don't, I don't even think what we ran at the spring game is going to be our our final defensive set. That, I mean, that's kind of what it looked like. Is they didn't. I don't want to say the defense was bad, but it just seemed like there was a lot of guys who were caught out of position because you had a lot of big plays in the spring game, which is exciting for, you know, the fans, like big offense. Everybody wants to see big offense. But when you look at the other side of it of, hey, we got to play teams right. who have big right. offenses. So how are we going to stop their team if we can't stop ours kind of thing? Something else uh, it too, and uh, not saying this is why some guys transferred out, but we've probably had, even since the spring game, 10 defensive players transfer out. Yeah, Tennessee's done a good job of um, going into the transfer portal and bringing in guys like uh, John Terry, uh, D-Lyman from Kansas. Uh, We talked about uh, Juwan Mitchell. 
mm-hmm. and um, uh, Hayden from uh, uh, cornerback from Auburn, guys like that. That you know, I I I don't put any stock into the defense we saw at the spring game. <laughs> Yeah. I, know that, I know that's easy to say, but I, I would be shocked <laughs> if it looks anything like that come this fall. One thing I was um, I was really impressed by was your O-line. They were great, protecting the quarterback, creating run lanes, getting upfield, getting to the second level. I mean, your O-line just looked like it dominated that defense as well. And, I mean, that's you can't ask for anything better than that. You have a good line. You have a – good team most of the time right yeah and Glenn Ellerby is a guy that um you know when when Heupel came up here he brought his entire offensive staff with him mm-hmm. um and it you know I get wanting to keep your staff chemistry but some of those guys I didn't really know of Glenn Ellerby the O-line coach being one of them but uh you know if he can if he can do the work you know I'm not worried about if I've ever heard of the guy or not I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm worried about the on-field results so yeah let's, let's give it a try Absolutely. Um, and you have you have a few running backs that um, I have here down smalls and right. They look good really early. Um, you have that Beckwith guy that we were talking about who's, what, 6'3", 220? Pro- is massive, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like Looks one, like a linebacker. He's, he's one inch and 10 pounds short of being Derrick Henry size. Man. Um, which, you know, I'm not saying he's the next Derrick Henry, but – he, he has that size. He is a, a definitely a bruiser. Um, a running back I have down for you guys is uh, Robinson. And the only note I put down was stud. Is that, <laughs> does that pretty much sum that up? That's the only thing you have to put. He right, is – he – Bajan Robinson is the best thing that's ever happened to Texas. Well, I, I won't go that far, but oh, wow. <laughs> I won't go that far, but he, he's uh, I, I'd say if you, if you have to circle a player this year, it'd be him. Um, Tom Herman was very much spreading the wealth, especially in the running back room. There would be, um, especially at the end of the year, there'd be games where Bajan Robinson was destroying teams on the first drive. He would run people over, you know, averaging, I think he averaged eight yards a carry last year, which is insane, but right. Herman wouldn't play him. He'd have two really good drives, and then he'd sub in Roshan Johnson, which Roshan Johnson's a good running back, but he's no Bajan Robinson. Um, so that's what I'm looking forward to with Sark, because as you know, he ran Najee Harris to death last year, and, oh, yeah. you know, ran teams over and I'm not saying he overuses running backs, but he, if he has a guy, you're going to get the ball. You got to stick with the hot guy. You got to stick with the hot. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm excited about him. Very excited about him. So just to touch on recruiting real quick, um, for the, for both teams, uh, no, this is usually if you check, you know, uh, rivals in 24 seven and anytime you're, your team might be three or four places off on each of those. But currently, um, Tennessee's 30th in the nation, and Texas is 11th, and that's on both um, both rivals and 24-7 have Texas at 11, Tennessee at 30th, Texas with 10 four-stars, three three-stars, Tennessee at two four-stars and 11 three stars and that's that those are 24 seven rankings okay uh, on the stars and uh, you guys just had a commitment yesterday today 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 1 p.m tennessee picked up addison nichols um addison is the number three prospect or the number three o-line in the state of georgia Hang on just a second. Let me get that pulled up. <laughs> Addison is the – he is six foot five, 318-pound, four-star, the 107th player in the country, number 12 player in the state of Georgia, and the number three inside O-lineman in the country. Huge get. Um, biggest recruit, obviously, of the Josh Heupel era so far. Mm-hmm. Um, 
hopefully dominoes start falling in place. Because, uh, you know, it, I mean, for, for what we're looking at, as far as, you know, NCAA sanctions may be coming, everything we just got out of in the coaching change, I feel like the class is, is pretty decent for what you would expect. I think you go seven, eight wins this fall, and, and you're looking at, at a pretty good class. That's kind of the boat that um, I've seen a lot about Texas fans is a little bit of a panic right now because we are number 11th in the, in the country, which, you know, number 11 to a lot of schools is, Hey, we're, we're doing something. But um, all the hype that we've given Sark and his staff um, as a recruiting staff, a lot of people are starting to panic now. And I've, I've told people before and I keep telling them just wait, just wait. Once they see the on-field product, oh, yeah. if he lives up to the hype as this great offensive guru, the recruiting will take care of itself. I'm not worried about that. But um, I, there, there's a lot of panic right now on Twix, uh, Texas boards and Texas Twitter and Facebook groups and all that. So all I can say is just be patient. Well, now, too, that uh, it is solidified you guys are joining the SEC. He, I mean, he needs to start working that for sure. As Absolutely. far as, um, you know, with the name, image, and likeness stuff and, and all that, I think, uh, and SEC, I think this should be a big upsell. I mean, you look at a guy like um, Bryce Young at Alabama, who's, uh, you know, pushing a million dollars. I mean, <laughs> yeah, who wouldn't want to, who wouldn't want to be a quarterback in that league? Absolutely. And I, I think he will push that a little bit harder, but um, as we know, the SEC and Texas and Oklahoma are saying 2025, which to some recruits, they're thinking I may be graduated by then. Right. Um, and in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinion, it's not going to take that long. It's going to be 22, 23 at the latest kind of thing. So I think once that gets solidified and recruits know, hey, it's it's next year, it's not four years down the line, um, they can start pushing that a little bit harder and selling that to kids. Um, but I, I hope they get that information out there sooner than later so that we can start pushing that out and trying to sell that. And with that too, you know, you guys are, uh, are there close together. Uh, well, Texas is a big state, but Texas and Oklahoma are, are right there together. Mm-hmm. Um, the other schools in the Big 12, you, I mean, you guys might start poaching from them hand and fist because it, <laughs> that whole conference might fold after you guys leave. So, yeah, that's um, that's that's what's going on right now. I mean, not recruits wise, but KU has reached out to the Big 10. Um, Iowa State is rumored to have reached out to the Big 10. Uh, TCU, Texas Tech, and um, I believe Baylor were rumored to reach out to the Pac-12. So I, I, I think it's going to collapse pretty quickly once teams, you know, start getting things set up. But uh, who knows? It may turn into the AAC. They may merge with the AAC and yeah, so have I'm, that conference. Now, now, I mean, you look at a team like uh, Oklahoma State, if they go to the Pac-12, I mean, we, we see what Pac-12 football looks like these days. I mean, you could you could be that close to the Texas border selling a SEC versus Pac-12 uh, kid. You know, do you want to go to the Pac-12 or the SEC? Yep. You don't have to you don't have to worry about the rest of the Big Ten anymore. Absolutely. And you know, we saw earlier today the Clemson and FSU news. Um, I don't know how much um, steam that's going to pick up or if it's going to kind of die out. But um, it was reported that they didn't have the viewers or something like that, that the SEC wasn't. Let me pull it up real quick so I can give you the exact quote. Uh, uh, the SEC is concerned that streaming numbers for Clemson and Florida State don't bring what Oklahoma and Texas do. Notre Dame is the only free agent left that would add to the pot. That was per... Mark Ryan at Mark Ryan on air on Twitter. Um, so yeah, I, apparently the SEC doesn't think that they have enough viewers, you know, to add money. And that's, um, that's where, that's where they may have to look at it and say, 
you know, is this, is this really about money and views or, or are we going for something bigger here? You know, I mean, you can't, you can't talk about, oh, we're not bringing these people in so they don't make money or get views and have somebody like Vanderbilt sitting there in the conference. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, at some point, does it become a trade-off or are we really trying to build like a, a mega conference here to, to, to try to push out the NCAA? Absolutely. And I, I, I don't know how hard it would be to kick a team out of a conference, but in my opinion, if they were, I know Vanderbilt is a great uh, baseball school, but if they were Vanderbilt and uh, either Missouri or Mississippi state would be probably one of the first ones to go in my opinion. And I, I don't know if they would ever do that, to be honest with you. I think they're going to keep everybody in the fold and just keep adding to it and try to build a power conference by adding teams instead of kicking teams out. Are you are you trying to pick up your first SEC haters? Are you is this, <laughs> is this your first SEC hit list, Michael? No, no, I I love Vanderbilt fans. Oh, um, I hope they don't get a hold of this. I hate Missouri fans. I well, hate's a strong word. I strongly dislike Missouri fans. I live in Kansas. Kansas hates Missouri. Missouri hates Kansas. That's just how it goes. Um, but. I mean, they're not as bad as A&M, so I'll give them that. I don't, I don't dislike them as bad as A&M. Oh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> well, um, I think it's about time we bring in our special guest today. Uh, we got Mark Nagy lined up for you guys. Uh, Amazon best-selling author of Decade of Dysfunction, former WATE Channel 10 10-year news anchor here in uh, Knoxville. So uh, let's bring him in. All right, guys, we got with us here today, Mr. Mark Nagy, uh, author of The Decade of Dysfunction, former WATE newscaster here in Knoxville. Um, how you doing today, Mark? I'm doing great. It's great to talk to you guys. Thanks. Um, seen Mark a lot on Twitter over the years. Never really had a chance to talk to him like this. Obviously bought the book. Uh, I think a lot of people did. Uh, was one that maybe hurt to read, but one we needed to read. Um, so, what do you think about uh, Texas and Oklahoma coming into the conference here, Mark? Um, you know, honestly, I'm not a huge fan of it, and here's the reason why. While it can be good for the SEC and it can be good for the member schools and everybody makes more money, at the end of the day, you want – a stronger college football across the board. It's like they always say, uh, you know, college football is better when Notre Dame is is good. You know, whether you like Notre Dame or hate Notre Dame, it's better when Notre Dame is least in conversation. The sport has is is better when you can look at each conference and look at teams in each conference and say, okay, I think there are multiple teams that have a chance of doing something on a substantial basis. And what you're going to have now is with Texas and Oklahoma, the top two jewels of the Big 12, it's going to start this waterfall of another round of uh, expansion and realignment. And, and I just don't think that's good for the sport. You're going to have so many great teams in the SEC, and that's fine. But, you know, the Pac-12 is already fairly irrelevant. Uh, the Big right. 12 on its way now to being irrelevant. You're going to end up uh, – eventually with two or three super conferences and that's just going to take away from what has made college athletics and specifically college football so special over the years. So I, I know why they're doing it. Um, but I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it, to be honest. Do you think this helps with the, uh, seems like everybody wants to try to push away from the NCAA. Do you think this is a push for that? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I think that the, uh, irrelevancy of the NCAA has, you know, has grown over the years. And the fact that they could never figure out how to pay the players, uh, they held on to that, you know, with, you know, like they're holding on to it, you know, the edge of a cliff. They're doing everything humanly possible to make sure that a bunch of olds are not able to profit off of their own. And right. that, end, that eventually ends up being the death knell for the NCAA because what you're seeing now is the SEC, it's a huge step in them basically saying, well, what do we need the NCAA? We can handle all of this ourselves. So um, 
if the NCAA years ago had said, you know what, this isn't necessarily went up, but we know that this is the way that the sport is going. We have to find a way to compensate uh, the players, in, especially in football and men's basketball. And I know there are Title IX considerations in there. But if they had just done the minimal amount, it never would have gotten to this point. But now with name, image, and likeness and these super conferences that are on the way, uh, I don't see what the the real need for these member schools is to have an NCAA. Um, and, and you you look at the schools and, and see how they flaunt their um, their violations because they have no fear of what the NCAA is going to do. Um, you know, I mean, LSU coach Will Wade is literally on a, on tape uh, with yeah. the quote unquote wrong ass offer, and nothing happened. So yeah. you got somebody that's that the NCAA will say, okay, well, the FBI has looked into this, but we we're not going to do anything with it. Then what's the point of these schools having it? So do you think I, the? Go ahead, I agree with that. Um, and to a certain point, um, as we saw a report earlier today, the number one player in the 22 class, Quinn Ewers, is going to skip his senior year in high school and go straight to Ohio State. Do you think that becomes a common thing in recruiting where players say, hey, I can't make money in high school. Why don't I just go straight to college? I've got all my classes done. I'm done with high school. Just go straight to college. Do you see that becoming a common occurrence? Um, I think it becomes a common occurrence for somebody at that level. I mean, this was the number one recruit playing the most important position in the entire state of Texas where high school football is religion. Yeah. So he has that type of gravitas. To do something like there aren't a lot of kids out there like him. Uh, you'll, you'll hear those stories and they'll get a lot of attention, but it isn't like you're going to see this happen for hundreds and hundreds of, of kids across the country. You'll see it for a select few. Now, I read a, a bunch of people being you know, critical of this kid. Well, it's twofold. One, I think it is too bad because he's going to miss out on what could be a really great experience, being a senior in high school, uh, going for a state championship in Texas, and that can put you at legendary status in that state. So he's going to miss out on that, which I think is kind of sad. That said, the sport of American football was never meant to be played by human beings. If it was, the knee would bend a certain way. The ankles would bend a certain way. I mean, this kid could step onto the sidewalk, rip up his knee tomorrow, and never get any dollars. So I don't blame him one bit for going out there and getting the having the possibility of making what is life-changing money at the age of 18. Because this may be the only opportunity that kid ever has to make this kind of money. So uh, while I think it's kind of sad he's going to miss out in his senior year, I don't blame that kid one bit. Do you think uh, this does cause like a trend for more kids to try to do this? And if it if it does, would there be a worry of college football almost becoming like a like a pre-pro program, almost like a like people try to say the AAF would be? Um, yeah, but I think college football to an extent already is. Um, right. I, you know, so I think there's that. Now, I think that what's what you're going to have though, it's kind of like when the NBA was allowing kids from high school to go directly. And while everybody remembers, you know, Kevin Garnett's and Kobe Bryant's, there are literally hundreds of other kids that you do not remember their name because they said they were told by certain people, Hey, go pro now, make your money now. And then the first two, the only two rounds of the NBA draft go on. They never get drafted. They're never hear, heard from again. So that's my feeling is that you're going to see kids that are going to see this kid from Texas and be like, hey, I can do that too, but not everybody can do that. And while it seems like it, and it feels like there is infinite money involved in college athletics with, with boosters, and that's not the case. It's not like uh, while we think that Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, you know, they're, they're all the deep pockets with their boosters. They're still, it's not like they're going to go out there and see the you know, back in the 70s have 225 kids on on the roster right. there still are a finite amount of places for these kids to go my fear though is that you are going to get kids who get the wrong advice they're going to uh, end up missing out on a lot of things because they were told that a payday was coming and a payday was not coming i would hope that there's there could be something in place um like they have with especially in college basketball where they can kind of say okay here's where you're projected to go and mm -hmm. then the kid 
make their decisions that way. You know, you're you're projected to get that offer from this school. You're projected to get this kind of money. You can make the decisions after that. I just I'm just afraid that there's going to be kids who are going to be pushed in the wrong direction and make some bad bad choices. Okay. Um, I'm throw a little curveball here. Uh, all the transfers we saw from the Jeremy Pruitt, Jeremy Pruitt era going into the Josh Heupel era. Do you think? Um, obviously, there's there's bad things there. Do you think there are maybe some good spots there though? Because uh, it would almost make it easier to put your culture in place. Do you think maybe? The, the apples that left were the bad apples? Um, I think to, to an extent. And this does probably help Jeremy Pruitt or uh, help uh, Josh Heupel and that staff not have to force some kids out the door. Um, you know, think about the PR nightmare that we saw over the years for Tennessee coaches when there's been a shakeup and they all of a sudden say, okay, this recruit, no, we don't want you. Uh, this player that's already on the roster, hey, let's try and find a way for you to go somewhere else. Um, so I, I think in a way it's, it's beneficial for a new coaching staff to have more of, of an ability to bring in their guys. Um, but as far as this year is concerned, you know, it's, it's going to be a rough road. Uh, you are not, you are not up to the 85 scholarship limit or uh, painfully um, painful lack of depth at spots. So, you know, Linebacker, I know that they're still, you know, they're they're high on that kid from Texas, uh, Mitchell kid that can kind of fill in for for Henry two hundred two zero, but there's no guarantee he's going to give you that kind of production. Right. That's just one spot. Barry Paul give you what Eric Gray I or were able to, probably not. So at day, it's still more of a negative, and it looks worse. Saying there are 30 over 35 kids that have left the program in the past calendar in the past 12 months. So that's a really, I mean, it's like 40% of the roster. It's a huge number. Uh, so in the short term, yeah, it's a real concern, but in the long term, not as bad as it sounds at, at the present day. Right. Yeah. Josh Heupel and, and staff, they've done a good job at bringing in some transfers, but um, I do think there are some, some good, so, you know, some things that are overlooked as far as changing of the culture when you have that many um, transfers out. Um, got anything else, Michael? Um, so going back to your book, uh, Decade of Dysfunction, what similarities do you see between, you know, Texas and Tennessee? Because I know I, as a Texas fan and a lot of Texas fans, consider this past decade the worst decade in Texas football history. Um, you know, uh, Mac Brown was forced out. I'll, I'll say it. Mac Brown was forced out. Charlie Strong came in. Uh, everybody liked Charlie. He was just not the guy for the job. Tom Herman came in. He was a, I'll say it, douchebag. He, nobody liked him. Um, and now we have Steve Sarkeesian. Um, so do you see similarities between Texas and Tennessee over the past decade? Uh, I do. I absolutely see similarities. Um, you know, the, the line, which has been said many times now, especially over the past decade for Texas football, the, oh, Texas is back yep. <laughs> waiting for to be back. And they, with a couple, and there were a couple of fleeting moments where you felt like, okay, they're, they're here now. Uh, and it ends up not being the case. And you can make that similar comparison to Tennessee during the decade of dysfunction, because you look to the balls, um, you know, at the beginning of the 2012 season, you kind of felt like Tennessee was on the cusp of getting back and then they lose to Florida and then they completely fall off the cliff. Um, you look at the 2015 and 2016 season specifically for Tennessee. They had the most talent in the SEC East. They won big games in the SEC East. They went uh, three and one combined in those two years against Georgia and Florida. You should win the East at least once, if not twice, with, with those type of numbers. You win nine games each of those years, and you still can't get over the hump. So I, I think there certainly are uh, comparisons to be made. Uh, you look at the history. You look at the the, uh, the stadiums, the, the insane fan bases. There are a lot of similarities between Tennessee and Texas. Now, I will say this. Texas, though, in this run of coaches – 
Charlie Strong, Tom Herman, and Steve Sarkeesian, even though you always heard the Nick Saban rumors, Texas still got an upper echelon coach in all of those cycles. Uh, you know, Charlie Strong famously turned down Tennessee mm-hmm. and ends up because he was waiting for a job like Texas. Um, you know, Tom Herman was the uh, the bell of the ball in that coach. <laughs> You know, and he used LSU uh, to get the job that he really wanted, which was, was yeah. it just didn't work out. And sometimes that that happens. And uh, Steve Sarkeesian, you know, did a great job, uh, you know, rehabilitating his career and his personal life. So I think that's actually a, a really good story. Um, I do wonder if Sarkeesian would have taken that job knowing what was going to happen only a few months later without <laughs> back to the SEC. So um, there certainly are comparisons to make. Kind of like I said before, though, if Texas is good, that's good for college football. If Tennessee is good, that's good for college football. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that we see both of those programs get back to the, the spot that their fans expect them to be. So like how you just said, um, Texas, um, you know, they were still able to make higher echelon hires. Um, do you think when Kiffin left and you think uh, – the Tennessee AD and athletic department, they felt pushed to hire quick. And that's why they got Derek Dooley after going 17 and 20 at LA tech. You think that started a bad trend? Yeah. So here, here's the basic gist of that. I was working at channel six at the time and the Lane Kiffin thing, obviously threw everybody for a loop and Mike Hamilton had always said that he had a short list of coaches ready to go. report. Well, when the Lane Kiffin thing happened, nobody was prepared for it at all. So you had uh, you already had some of the early enrollees on campus, like Tyler Bray, Jacquez Smith. Um, you had national, so there was no early signing period. You had National Signing Day coming up in only a couple of weeks. And Tennessee, the, the biggest thing that they could have done in that situation is just don't panic. If you've got to take a couple of extra days, take a couple of extra days. What I have said over the years is that they should have given the job to Kippy Brown on an interim basis. He was the interim coach for those four or five days. Instead, they didn't give him the job. They panicked. They hired Derek Dooley because they'd gotten turned down, you know, all over the, all over the country. If you give the job to Kippy Brown and he succeeds, great. You can move on from there. If he doesn't succeed, well, you've given yourself a year to kind of get your footing back and get some stability and get some stability in the program. And you haven't made a panic hire like you did for Derek Dooley. The Derek Dooley hire proved that Tennessee now had an inferiority complex. Think about it. You had Johnny majors and Phil Fulmer two Tennessee legends. The Tennessee job was their dream job. And for 30 plus years, you had that kind of stability with those two guys. Lane Kiffin comes in, doesn't even last 14 months. He says that Tennessee, this is not the place that I want to be. And you had that, that happened since Doug Dickey had left. So Tennessee has an inferiority complex, which I feel still remains to this day. That's how you end up with a guy like Derek Dooley. That's how you end up with a guy like Butch Jones, who really was, you know, a, a paper tiger when you when you think about all his, his resume coming in. And, uh, and Jeremy Pruitt, it didn't work out, but but I almost don't blame Phil Fulmer in that 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 obviously the coaching search in 2017 you know, that was, that was as big of a cluster as you're ever going to find. So it's right. You know, I think Jeremy literally was as good as they were going to get uh, at that point. Um, do you think if Lane Kiffin brings in Taj Boyd, maybe Tennessee stays on track for a couple more years, even, even with Lane's departure, even if he would have still left, do you think Taj Boyd could have, kept Tennessee on a, on an upward trajectory for a couple of years. Well, remember they also had Bryce Petty in that, you know, who had a real solid career at, at Baylor. You had two guys that Phil former and that staff had ready to go. Um, would that have made a difference? Perhaps it then still goes back to what happens. If, Cause then I'm still assuming Lane Kiffin in this, scenario still leaves and, and goes to Southern Cal. So are you, are you able to get a better coach because you know that you've got Taj Boyd there? I, I, I don't know. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, you still, you had Tyler Bray, who was a very highly sought after recruit 
four, you know, as a true, going to be a true freshman then, Petty would have been a redshirt freshman or, or a sophomore. So I think it it really, in that scenario, it, it's the old edge. It's not about the five, it's about the high. So if they still hire Derek Dooley, you know, you could have, you probably could have had Cam Newton quarterback and they're still not going to speed because right. Jared Dooley was so far over his head. And going, going right along with that. Um, if Derek Dooley has somebody other than Sal Sinceri running that defense, does that team, does that team able to succeed more? If you are able to up 40 here, Tennessee. Oh, for sure. If he went, and if you win 10 games, obviously Tennessee for the next couple of years, um, you know, Stalson, they, they wanted to hire Kevin, but they got, but, um, he was at Clemson at the time and they got destroyed in that bowl game. And, and so they, they couldn't hire him as a defense coordinator when you just looked at, oh, your defense got to work. So they didn't make that hire. And you end up hiring South Sonsari, somebody who had not been a coordinator in decades, not ready, not prepared to have that. It's completely incompetent. And that, that destroyed Tennessee. Because that 2012 offense was just uh, Tyler Bray, Zach Rogers, uh, Justin Hunter, Cordell Patterson, uh, Michael Rivera, a uh, really solid offensive line. But those guys that are playing uh, in the NFL, you even just have an average. And you're you're going to win ten games. So, yeah, that's one of the great what ifs. For sure. Michael, you got anything else? Um, well, this will be my last question for you. Um, looking at Tennessee and Texas right now, who do you believe, in your opinion, is set up better for the future? Um, I would say that Texas has set it up better for the future. Um, I think that that their their issue they they've felt that you know. I think sir, and a big reason for that is because I think Sarkeesian will recruit better over, you know, over the next couple of years in Texas than maybe you've seen. I think that that's been one of the huge problems for Texas is that so many schools both in the state's borders and out have gone in and gotten most of those key recruits. There was a time where when Texas was rolling that, you know, that they were going to get, even in a state like Texas, you know, they were going to get at least half of the top 10 recruits every single year. And it really hasn't been that way lately at Texas. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really up to speed as much on recruiting at Texas. It's just that seems to be the way that that's gone. Um, I think that Josh Heupel is, you know, he, he's, he's starting with a foot in quicksand. You still don't even know what's going to happen with the NCAA. While the NCAA certainly has been neutered um, by everything that's happened over the past year, you still have the possibility of sanctions out there. Still, and that could last for a year until you find out finally find out what your your pets are. So, um, and I think that you know what we've seen is that Sarkeesian uh, has coached in um, at a at a power five at power five level and, and coached uh, re- again rehabilitated career and personal life pretty important. And, uh, and I, I so I have more confidence in Sarkeesian company and that and that that's the way that could certainly change tennessee puts up some points this year i think the best case scenario for tennessee is to kind of have an old miss year like old miss had in 2020 where the offense is fun you're putting up points you know you're not going to stop anybody and you know that you're not going to a division championship so just have fun with it and that attracts recruits to get name in the paper, as the old as the old saying goes, and maybe that turned things around for Tennessee. That's their best case scenario because that was one of the big downfalls for Tennessee under the Jeremy Crude era. Is that those offenses were just unwatchable, and I know a lot of that was put on Garantano, but let's also throw some shit at Chris Winkie, Jim Cheney. I know they're they were all kind of in bed together, and, and big reasons why they could not work at Tennessee offensively. Um, and Jeremy Pruitt didn't have any real interest in the offensive side of the ball, and it showed. So, um, yeah, so I think Texas is set up better in the future, but it doesn't mean that Tennessee can't jump above them. All right, Mark, I got one last question for you. You just kind of touched on it there, but uh, what do Josh Heupel and staff need to do to succeed at Tennessee, get them back on top, 
and how long do you think that would take? You know, I feel like this is Groundhog Day because I <laughs> this had the conversations in uh, you know 2015, and um, it's a never-ending cycle at Tennessee. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I think like I touched on the offensive thing. I think that would really help ten kids want to go someplace where they can you know get right, the ball just and have fun. Exactly, and, and Heupel's system is going to do that. Now, you know, is the offensive line going to protect? quarterback are the wide receivers going to step up um you know th those are all things that we'll we'll find out so you've got that a big thing for Heupel and this is something that people kind of forget about because the Butch Jones era did not live up to what it was supposed to remember Butch Jones's uh class of 2014 he was able to get all those key Tennessee kids to stay in state Todd Kelly Josh Malone Derek Barnett those kids needed wanted to stay at home they were given a reason to stay at home and they had really good careers in tennessee and helped tennessee get just on the brink of up to atlanta bruitt's got to find a way to recruit because hasn't happened so far you're able to get some of those kids in that can kind of get the ball rolling a little bit um so people can find a way to make those kind of inroads that was remember Derek dooley his coaching staff made no effort to recruit in the state and it killed like it was bad that there were so many coaches says we have no relationship with Derek julie that coaching staff whatsoever and we're the flagship university of a state which is growing a state whose high school football is getting a lot better especially in nashville and, and memphis uh not as not i'm not saying overall teams because you still teams wise the power is still in east tennessee but just those freak athletes that you need to take your college program to another level if Hypo can find a way to recruit better in this state and have a solid uh, representation for that, that class of 2022, I, I think that could pay dividends for them down the line. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out with us for a little while here, Mark. Absolutely, guys. Good luck with the podcast. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Yep. Well, we just finished up our interview with uh, Mr. Mark Nagy. A uh, good interview. Learned a, learned about, learned a lot. Got to ask him a few questions. Um, next week, we are going to be talking about season preview, uh, what we're expecting, breakout players, stuff like that. Uh, hope to have a little bit of camp insight as well. Um, but we'll be reaching out, trying to get some people on um, who could get us that information. So uh, until next time, see you guys later. Thanks for your time, guys. <laughs>